Welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. If you're looking for mind-melting facts about chill filters, parts per squillion, and numbers of staves per washback, then sadly, my dear chums, you have come to the wrong place. I'm Daz, your co-host. And I am Mitch. Thank you for tuning in uh, and listening to our chat about all things whiskey in the whiskey world. So the plan for this episode was to do an in-person podcast, which Daz and I were in Lewis last week. And uh, we were going to sit down. We actually took all the gear all the way over to Lewis. And then we stayed in a really cool place that had a full-size snooker table, ping pong table, a massive bar. We took a load of whiskey over. That kind of got in the way a little bit, Daz, didn't it? So we didn't really fulfill our plan there, which was a really- uh, We failed miserably. Yeah, as I suspected, we, we might. Um, pool, table tennis. Uh, you were skinny dipping at one point. So yeah, yeah, a few things got in the way. Yeah. Have you deleted those photos yet, by the way? Uh, no. no. Just right. as well as the podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can give uh, a full description great, if you want. Great trip though, man. You, you had a good time? Yeah, it was class. It was really nice. Um, I was really surprised actually. A couple of things that stood out for me it was going to the Harris Distillery, uh, walking into there. They were running uh, their, only their second peated run. And as soon as I walked into the still house, I was like, this is Peter Mott, what's going on here? You know, it was really cool. Uh, and to hear that it was their second one uh, from Shona, who, who took us around, she's one of their whiskey makers, was really cool. Um, and just how beautiful the island was. Not a place I've been before. Don't know a lot about Lewis and Harris. Uh, been on Orkney and Sky, Isla, Jura, all these lovely places, uh, but not a place I knew a lot about. So yeah, it was really, really amazing. And the weather was pretty kind to us. Uh, it was grey most of the time, but we didn't get rained on. We didn't get caught out, which was great. Only half a day in midges. Um, and we did a live in-person tasting, which is pretty cool, in a pub. Almost felt like we it was did. back to normal that day. Uh, yeah. Scotland game was on right afterwards. That was shit. Let's not talk about that. A anyway. few, few decent whiskies. We did the Dalmore Portwood. We did Balveni, uh, Caribbean cask, which was delicious. Um, I have to say that, of course. And uh, we, uh, we did a wee Highland Park uh, 17-year-old dark as well, which Teddy took us through, which was really nice I, I i haven't tried enough highland park any of the new ones anyway over the last two or three years i should have tried more but that was a a banger takes you back to the old days of the good old 18s and stuff we used to put out there so yeah very good nice wee balvenny that uh, Gemma brought along as well that was a good time so anyway enough about lewis um what we're going to do for this episode instead is we have a very special guest uh our second only guest on the podcast and um what we're going to do Based around this, this this special guest that's coming on, we're going to talk about family distilleries in Scotch whiskey uh, and how they work. So I've been lucky enough to work for one of these families for 10 years of my, my whiskey career, which was William Grant and Sons, who own both Glenfiddich and Balvenie single malts. Um, but to give us a little bit more of an inside track, we are joined today by Kirsten Grant Meikle, who is actually one of the members of the Grant family and very much involved in the business. Kirsten, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. And good to see you both again. I know, it's I been do. a while. Um, so <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's... I was going to say, I, I can say that and mean that. Uh-huh, it's been a while. Mitch, it's, it's been not a been a while. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's been, what, like three weeks since... No since less. <laughs> Yeah, so I think well, we chat. Let's go back in, in history a little bit and talk about how we all kind of met because your background, Kirsten, goes back to Matthew Clark, right? I mean, and yeah, the- even before that, Mitch, I used to run a bar in Edinburgh called Echo Vino up in Coburn Street, still there. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, worked for Derek up there and then uh, I did that for a couple of years. And then I went to Matthew Clark um, as a sales role, basically, padding the pavements in Edinburgh, talking to all you guys. <laughs> I know, that, that's, that's the funniest thing, because I had no idea um, <laughs> what, what your role would be in the end in, in the William Grant's family, because I, I didn't know did part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I didn't even make the connection. I don't think I was ever aware of it. It was probably because you and Tara, uh, you became uh, Tara's boss in the end uh, down yeah. the line for, for for the wine business then as well. And I just always remember you guys as just being like really good fun <laughs> and great to be around, and and uh, it was really really easy to work with you guys. And it, um, yeah, obviously down the line you became heavily involved in, in the whiskey side, and and that's when I was yeah. like, oh, that's Kirsten from Matthew Clark. <laughs> <laughs> I must be the only person that says that to you, you know. <laughs> no, I still get that every now and again. You see, yeah. so and like just recently from guys in your position who, when we were doing all the the bars in Edinburgh, so yeah, it was really fun days. And I don't at that time the company it was called First Drinks uh, after Matthew Clark. So the, the the William Grant part of the business was called First Drinks. So and there was a girl at First Drinks called Rena Gallagher. So when I was at Matthew Clark and Raina was representing First Drinks, we also had a bit of fun going around seeing you guys. And yeah, that must be, we're talking like 12, 13 years ago now. Yeah, at least, right? I remember the first time I met you was when I was with Diageo. And yeah. Clark, and I, I had to do a, a 101 uh, whiskey seminar for you guys. And oh, you, yeah. We did put where'd... a little bit of whiskey background. It was in, the, it was in Dundas House in Glasgow. Oh, yeah. And then you told me your kind of background. I was like, well, I don't really need to be teaching you any of this stuff. Well, to be honest, though, Mitch, at the time, you know, I, I obviously knew about the products and that, that, but I didn't have an in-depth, deep knowledge of whiskey back on those days because I hadn't really been brought up around the distillery. So my father um, was brought up in Glendronach Distillery and he came down to Edinburgh um, to go to the art school. So we, he'd moved away, basically, from Speyside. Uh, and so we didn't really spend much time up there. So whilst I knew, obviously, a lot about the company and stuff, I, I didn't have the knowledge that I've got now, definitely, because I'm now in the business and working with the products every day. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and let's chat about this, because I think that that's quite an interesting fact that you touched on, right? I think, well, I know for a fact that back in the day with uh, the Grant family, it was a case of, right, you got the second name, get in the business, this is going to be your job title. But it's definitely not like that anymore. I mean, you're a no. classic example of that. You've worked yeah. yourself up through the ranks to get where you are uh, within the business. And you've got such a, a vast uh, knowledge, experience mm -hmm. of the drinks industry now, right? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely not like that now. And, you know, there's... There's many more of us now than there was before because, you know, I'm fifth generation. So, you know, every time you go down a generation, your family gets bigger and bigger. So and just because your name is Grant, uh, in no way secures you any type of role at the company. So, yes, take the present situation. I have about 45 cousins and four of us are really five of us actively in the business at the moment. So and, and there's a number of reasons for that. Some of them don't want to be. Some of them don't have the skill set to do it some want to be we don't want them you know it just depends on, on the circumstances so yeah it's um working out when I joined Matthew Clark the intention wasn't to then that to be a stepping stone to grants I joined Matthew Clark because I really enjoyed the drinks business and 
And then actually I did, after I did a couple of years of, you know, the sales girl in Edinburgh role, I went into the wine side of the business. I finished up really with a big wine background. So, but, you know, these skills are all transferable into, into what we do now. So that's one of the reasons I ended up in the business was my Uncle Charlie Gordon recognised the skill set and the customers that I knew and all the rest of it, and which would be able to bring a valuable skill to William Grant's. And particularly, he was wanting me to you know, develop the on-premise side of the business, which for a long time had been neglected somewhat at William Grant's. We were very much a grocery company. And when I went into the business at Grant's, my first role was called Project Transformer, and that was a huge investment into the UK on-premise. So... You know, I got a lot, of, uh, a lot of support and money to build a team, you know, taking on, I took some of the best people, you know, and built a really strong on-premise team. So you can see now the difference between William Grant's 12, 13 years ago and, and our focus on the on-premise now. And that was all a big part of my uncle's influence and what I was brought in to do. That's it. No, that's so true. You know, I think when you look at it now, from the outside looking in, yeah. uh, Grant's is very strong. In that particular area and um so thanks for thinking of me when those roles were coming up that's really <laughs> <of you. laughs> but I think it's, it's, so it's so interesting though isn't it when you think about like the, the the family businesses and it will come with its positives and there'll also be the other side of that as well where it will bring its its challenges and it's interesting actually when you break it all down say there's 140 malt whiskey distilleries in scotland right and maybe four of, of the really well-known distilleries are, are still in, or four companies are still in kind of family ownership. When you think about it, you've got Glenfiddich and Balvenie, which of course belong uh, to your family. You've got Glen Farkless in there and you've got Spring Bank. Obviously there's Colhomans and stuff which have come up in kind of yeah. more recent years, but they're, they're pretty much first generation businesses, you know. They... Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you know, there's lots of all the smaller guys are, are family owned businesses at the moment because it's first generation. So, you know, they, they say, you know, family businesses, you make first generation, make it, take it, break it. So, <laughs> so if you can get past the third, that's when you really know you've got a family business. Is that right? That's that's yeah. good knowledge. So if yeah. anyone's out there thinking about setting up their own businesses, uh, yeah. yeah, third, third generation, third, make it, they're, they're yes. the, take it, the first make it, the second take it, the third break it. And the stats are quite interesting around getting past the third generation. So you can get to fifth or sixth, you're in a pretty good position. But then, you know, our our biggest mantra at the moment is, is you get quite into being quite a big company. It's like, how do you get big, stay small, get big, stay small? Which is one of the discussions we have a lot at yeah. home. Because yeah. that's the you challenge, know, isn't it? Yeah. I've, worked, I've never worked for uh, my own business. I've never worked for a family business. My background is Diageo, Edrington. Mm-hmm. And here I am now working for White and Mackay. And um it's you know it's treat it like it's your own uh, how can you really have that mindset unless it truly is yours you know and, and there'll always yeah. be a little bit of that right so is, yeah. is that something that you guys are going to feel very close to that kind of mindset I suppose yeah I mean it's interesting I mean it, every day we have uh, things happen or whatever where you know because I work in the business my cousin's the chairman at the moment uh, and and it is we do see things differently. And uh, so, you know, we do go off rants about stuff because because we're looking at things in a completely different way to a lot of people, you know? And that, that can cause, you know, obviously it's going to cause some kind of friction, but we're always looking to the long term. So when we see things that are not based on that, then 
we get upset about that. <laughs> However, you've also one of our biggest challenges at William Grant is is getting to scale brands. You know, mm-hmm. so we're very good at incubating and building these great brands, but then we need to learn a bit more about going to scale because previously we've been a, rather precious about all that stuff, and the, we need to teach ourselves how to behave bigger as well you know, in terms of our processes and our ways of working and just some of the outlooks that we have and the decisions we make. But at the same time, there'll always be this tension to remain family-owned and close to the business. Yeah, because that's a a healthy tension. I'm always so fascinated by the sense of responsibility. I feel that, you know, whatever whiskey distillery, especially Edrington and and Dwight and Mackay, is when you meet former distillery managers, you meet people who have worked there 40, 50 years, who's parents worked at these distilleries you guys have it i've met dennis mcbain and these types you know where you 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 spend time with them and you realize just how much it means to them and it's that kind of standing on the shoulders of giants now that responsibility for me as an employee i feel it you know so as somebody who's uncles aunties grandparents generationally you must feel that pressure quite it's massive you know and this is what you know sometimes i'll go off and like on a tangent about something i said but guys you need to understand that you know it's not going to break on my watch and the the responsibility that you have for all your employees we've got 2800 employees um and all their employees before that so using dennis as a great example and he's 60 years he's been employed by us. He started when he was 15. So, you know, if, if we were the ones to break it, it would be like, you would just break people's hearts, you know? And also, I think in some ways we're quite an, an inefficient company because sometimes we just do stuff because we want to do it, not because the accountants tell us. And, you know, for example, I think Dennis retired eight or nine years ago and he's still, we're still paying up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and we make decisions, you know, things like, you know, the wood purchases or, you know, building still house, the new still house of Glenfiddich and Tullamore and all these places. You know, we don't cut corners, so we're never going to listen to the accountant because, you know, there's a great story around Tullamore where the head um, engineer said to my cousin Glenn, you know, we've got these different types of stone. This one's five pounds, this one's 10 pounds, this is 50 pounds. And he said, which one's going to look the best in 100 years? And he said, oh, that one, but that's the most expensive. And he said, and my cousin said, that's not what I asked you. I asked you which one's going to look the best in 100 years, you know? So you've got to think about these sort of decisions. So. It doesn't seem that obvious to some people at the time, but we are responsible for building the, more of the foundations to keep the business going. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, I want to just kind of rewind a little bit and go back in history because you know, people that are listening, they've got a bit of whiskey knowledge. They know these stories about how there was these horrendous you know, multinationals that came around Scotland, the big whiskey conglomerates that basically took over the little guys. And essentially, mm-hmm. you know, William Grant and Sons, when it was Balvenie, just Balvenie and Glenfiddich, it was a small company. I mean, you know, Grants was there, obviously, which is, a, which is a massive blend. But how did the family stop from being, you know, overtaken, if you like, from the, these big guys coming in? There must be some great stories based around that. Um, I'd say number one is sheer, sheer stubbornness. Sheer stubbornness. So, you know, like a sense of being independent. So there's a great story that it, we do have it recorded somewhere, actually, of Uncle Charlie. You know, he was 
fighting this stuff all the time just because it was so bloody minded, you know, and that's the, one of the reasons we built Gervin was so we could remain independent. And he's like basically two fingers up yours to the combine, as it was called at the time, which was now Diageo, and then um, built Gervin so that we, we weren't being held to ransom by them. And I think it's just because he would have been fourth generation. So, you know, he also felt like that when, when all that was happening. So, yeah, I think... Yeah. It's just, it's probably just part of the spirit of the family. He's, you know, I was lucky enough to, to meet your uncle Charlie three or four times. Um, and what an amazing guy. I remember when I first started, which was 2010, uh, and it was the first time I met him, and Snow Phoenix was just about to come out. And, you know, I was like, well, what am I, what am I going to ask him? So I was like, let's ask him about Snow, Snow Phoenix. And he turned around to me, and I'll never forget this. He's like, Mitch, you know what? Packaging can look great, doesn't matter. If the liquid isn't good in the bottle, then it's all yeah. bullshit. And I was like, yeah, yeah. what a great, you know, that was so refreshing to hear something like that coming, mm -hmm. coming from uh, yeah. such an influential person within the whiskey industry and obviously within William Grant and Sons at the time. Yeah. Well, you've got, I mean, it's one of the prerequisites of coming into the business as a family member is you've got to have a passion for this industry. So, I mean, it's a bit of a running joke. Family are considered cheap labour, so it gives them an excuse not to pay us very well, number one. But you know, And also, you know, my cousin's like, yeah, family members should be working till 10 o'clock at night, every night. And, you know, that's what I did at Matthew Clark for 10 years. So it's easy for me to do that. You know, and you've got to really throw your heart and soul into it. So if you want to come as a family member and work in the business, it's not easy. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not all about the glory and all that. It's bloody hard work. And you've got to really love the industry. And if you don't, and you're just there for, you know, for an easy ride or a nice salary, you're not going to get that. It is not like that. Very it's cool. fun, though. <laughs> well, the, do you know that? That's it. I, I would. It feels I can relate to that. Not being in family business, but I think it, it's the type of personality that. Yeah. Certainly, whiskey. A lot of the people I've met who who work in whiskey, whether those are in marketing or sales roles, distillery roles, uh, finance even, you know, there is a there is a type that it seems to attract in the end. And yeah. um, one of the things I noticed, and Kirsten, you must have seen this on a number of occasions, is uh, some people give something else a try. They leave the drinks industry and they go and do something else. They always come back like boomerangs. You know, I always uh -huh. say that. Like, I'll see you. I'll, if you leave, no problem. Good luck, all the best. But I'll see you at some point. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, you'll be back in here. I'm not going anywhere. Uh -huh. I'm not interested in anything else. So, But they'll come yeah. back. For sure. You can tell. Years. You're totally right, Dad. You can tell the people that sell batteries, razor blades, biscuits, and they don't last in whiskey, you know, or, you know, you see a little bit of that in some of the bigger companies, but they don't last there either because it's, you've got to have a passion for it. It's quite a nerdy, complex subject. And if you don't like it, then you're not going to enjoy being in the industry because you're it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle choice yeah and that's it isn't it because the, the blurred lines very much are between your personal and your professional and um it is like that it's a lifestyle yeah definitely yeah yeah definitely yeah. and most people go to another drinks company i mean everyone just moves around and i say to people just never piss me off you know <laughs> you just, yeah, yeah. don't know when it's going to come that <laughs> round again yeah, don't yeah, piss yeah. anyone off because because you don't know who will be your next boss you know well, yeah it's such a small industry right it's, um, yeah it's, it yeah. is very small when you think about it and actually you guys all know this we're all pretty good mates really you know there's no 
people think on the surface we're not, but we are. You know, I see all my competitors quite regularly. You know, they might have boardroom scuffles or whatever, but, you know, on the, at our levels and at brand ambassador level, at sales level, even at management level, yeah. everyone knows each other because, with number one, you've got that intertrading of the liquid, number one, which is a good base for that. But you are always together when you're out in the markets. You know, it's a small group of people. There's a huge oh. amount of respect between the companies yeah. as well, aren't yeah. there? I mean, look, nobody's looking at that. I always... Yeah. I, I know Ian Miller used to say this over at Glenfiddich when he was doing the, the brand ambassadorial trips as, you know, yeah. your category first and then your kind of brand yeah, second, yeah. you know, because if, you, if you're a category person, if you if you work for whiskey, then look, we, we, we can yeah. all win, you know, we can all do quite well out of this. Uh-huh. Um, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I've yeah. seen examples where that's not been demonstrated by a couple of people. And, you know, the whiskey world will turn on you as a group if you start to try and, you know, you know, pick on other people's brands or whatever. Nobody, you know, you're not going to win if you do that. Yeah. So I've got a question for you, right? I, I've, um, I, I'm, I'm definitely of that mindset, and I, I'm very open about the whiskies I enjoy and things like yeah. that. You've got some great malt whiskies in Balvenie and Glenfiddich and Caninvi, um, well, Ailsa Bay as well. Ailsa one of the brands Bay, that you yeah. guys have got, which is, which is delicious. Now, if you were taking your um, non-work hat off, or your work hat off, sorry, <laughs> and, uh, and you're going to go around and have a wee look and taste a wee whiskey, what's your tipple that's not one of those <laughs> that you look after? Are you allowed to say that? Or? I, I am, yeah, because it's a fact, you know. Um, I would tell you Highland Park 25 is one of mine. I'm a really big fan of that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably the immediate one that springs to mind. A lot of the stuff from Highland Park I really like. My favourite, my favourite whiskey ever is Highland Park Twenty One. We've tried some really uh, rare and unusual things over the years, you know. And then when you're in our position, you are spoiled beyond, <laughs> and you're trying things out of people's suitcases. <laughs> and then people are like, well, "That sounds really dodgy." Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, it's true. You know, everything's labelled 12, isn't it? And they're like, no, it's not. No, totally. <laughs> yeah, well, we know that. Yeah. Right, so one of the things that we do on the podcast is what we're drinking this week. So in your honour, we're having some Glenfiddich, which I'll just open up right now. But going back to, to Daz's question, put your work hat on. What's your favourite William Grant and Sons whiskey? Uh, everyone asks me this, and I'll give you the same answer that... You know, it depends where you are, who you're with, no, no, who you're no, drinking, no. who's you don't, paying. You don't, you don't get to um, that way. It's Desert you, Island. One at the moment, I'm going to be quite thoughtful. At the moment, what? Well, no, sorry. A, a constant favourite of mine, because it never disappoints me, is Belvini Portwood. Hmm. It's, you know, it's just outstanding. Is, this the, 20, is this the 21? 21 Portwood, yeah. So David Stewart, that's his favourite. He says that fairly yeah, often. Yeah, I think yeah, I've yeah. heard Gemma uh-huh. say that as well. It seems yeah. to be... Yeah, well it's pretty of. good value because it's a little bit overaged. <laughs> good, okay, good, good value means there's a price increase coming, right? Is it? <laughs> no, no, there's not. But, um, there's not, but in the stock models, um, there is some older Portwoods coming. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that's what we've got coming up now. And in terms of what, you know, just one of the greatest whiskies of all time, I think, is Glenfiddich 15. Salernavat, you know, for another reason, I think it's the best value. You know, it's a great mixable whiskey. 
it's really approachable. It's it's quite a step, a step change from twelve. People are quite surprised when, when they try it, and and it's just outstanding for me. So if you were, if I was having to pick two at the moment, but these things change when we bring out old things, new things, different things, cask things, you know, all this stuff. No, I think the fifteen just value for money is unbelievable. Value for money, it's outstanding. It's yeah. Uh, it, I, I think it always drinks a lot older than it actually yeah. is well. I've given it to people blind before and, you know, they think... Yeah, 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 yeah. Old. And it's also, when we did some stuff, when I was running the London Prestige team, we um, dropped in 18, 15 to bartenders to play about with for cocktails and it's always the one that they wanted to use. Yeah. Sorry, I had a wee fox. The wee baby fox has just come down into my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually yeah, yeah. into the kitchen. Just came down to the edge. It's, it's, it's sat right. It's just gone back. I stood, that's why I stood up to get it out. <laughs> <laughs> so back to whiskey. Take Sorry. your let's let's move away from William Grant and Sons here for a second. Um, what do you think? What do you think of the state of the whiskey industry right now in Scotland? Eh, wow. I think it's going gangbusters. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm really happy to see you know, it's such a a buoyant industry. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about all these new distilleries, you know, and hoping that, you know, we're, that that doesn't cause problems in the future, that everything is good and everything's working together and we don't have too much or all, all this sort of stuff. So, you know, when you suddenly get an explosion of distilleries, mm. um, it just needs to be managed properly. So whiskey remains, you know, as in t- with the integrity that all we should do and all the rest of it. And that, you know, you don't get into any kind of horrible disagreements between the different companies because they're also new or whatever you know but you know I'm really happy with it the the part of the industry that I'm a little bit also skeptical about is all the cask investment stuff you know that that whole investment stuff I mean every week we get something through with people promising these massive big returns and you know 582 percent is a number that comes up all the time and it's simply not going to last you know, it, the bubble is going to burst, and when it bursts, it's going to be a one big shit show of cheap whiskey on the market and a lot of disappointed people, and that's not good for the industry. And we've actually reported to the SWA some of these things because you can read, you know, facts that are categorically not true. Things like, well, this cask will yield two hundred and sixty-three bottles at this. How do you know that? You don't know that unless it's already in bottle, you know. So you know there's facts in there that are not true. You've got lots of people trying to make money off something that, you know, it's just not going to work. You know, <laughs> it will not. All the promises that are in these documents will not come true. You know, some of them might. But a lot of them won't. And, you know, you talk to our stocks guy, Ken McKinley, he's got his head in his hands with it. You know, and one of the advantages we've got is you will very, very rarely see any of our stuff being sold in a cask because we were never really involved in any of that. So, you know, some comes up every now and again, but it's very, very rare. But, you know, there's a lot of companies that have got a lot of their stuff out there and everyone's been saving it all for all these people that know nothing about this industry and think they're going to cash in and, and who's going to bottle it for them? You know, so you know, all this stuff. Who's going to sell it for them? You know, you, this is all going to turn a bit messy in about ten years' time, and that's what worries me a little bit. So the good and the bad, and yeah, then yeah. let's look. You, you're the first female to come on our our little podcast, which is long overdue since we've done 
what's this the sixth episode right now um but you know I, daz and i have both been around so many amazing females within the whiskey industry and uh, i think well i hope that the the, the attitude towards females have totally changed over the last decade or so um, yeah what's been your experience you know i um- when I first joined the business, even Grants, so I've been 10 years at William Grants now. I got my uh, long service award. <laughs> Did you get a bottle of something nice? No, I didn't. I got, oh. a, che- I got a check for £500 and my cousin said, buy yourself a nice shoe. <laughs> <laughs> he knows you too well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, uh, even... Even in the time that I've been at William Grants, I've seen a big difference in in the attitudes towards women in the industry. I mean, sort of interesting position for me because I'm the youngest of my generation and the only female working in the business, really. So, I mean, I have female cousins, but they're not connected to the business. So I'm kind of the only girl, which um, for me, I'm just a girl in a boy's world is how we kind of view it. But because that's quite a unique position but in terms of the whiskey industry more generally it's definitely a different place than it was 10 years ago and William Grants is a different company you know definitely so I mean we still got a lot of work to do with our gender balance and you know we've got a huge push of D&I and we're working really hard at that and you know, but I can see it. It's definitely a much different place now. But I think your personality kind of suits working in, in the whiskey industry, right? I mean, you're not, you're not going to be offended when I say that you are a bit of a tomboy and you can hang yeah. boys more than any female. <laughs> yes, actually. I was out with George Grant on Friday night and uh, there was a guy with us who... And we didn't, neither of us know very well, but he's going to rent some office space from us in Richmond office. And he tried to take us on. That's <laughs> a good boy right there. Yeah. <laughs> Another guy is with us who knows George and I was like, it's not going to work. <laughs> and he's he's, he's like, still in bed today <laughs> on Tuesday, four days later. Yeah. <laughs> he's broken. Uh, yeah. So did he did he poke the bear? Um, no, I think it was just like a rabbit in headlights. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm a bit of a tomboy, but you know, that's like that's probably why I managed to survive the early days in the drinks business. <laughs> so tell us best experience to date in the in the in the whiskey industry. Like what's what's been oh wow. You can't say that again, Mitch. I mean, we've had so many good times, haven't we? I think at a very top level, it's the travelling that you get to do and the people that you get to meet. And then when you meet somebody in an obscure place and they just tell you how much they love your product, you know, it makes you remember why we do it and why we've got the blood, sweat and tears and all the rest of it, you know. And, and whiskey people, whiskey fans are obsessive, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm actually not on any social media because I was almost getting stalked. You know? <laughs> people phone up the business looking to talk to me and all this sort of stuff, you know, because people are obsessed with it. And, you know, and they come and they're like wanting to touch you and have you sign the bottles and all that sort of stuff, which, 
Pretty amazing, really. You know, we're not that good. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. There's a guy, uh, Stevie Martin, that, that works with me over here. And um, he was he was actually in L.A. And he'd gone, uh-huh. he'd, he'd gone from L.A., you know, further south into California somewhere. Uh, San Diego, I think, is yeah. where he was. And there's, I think there's some military bases down there or something like that. Yeah. So he'd gone to the pub and uh, he was just having a couple of drinks on his own. And these two American guys come in. And he starts chatting to them, and it turns out there are a couple of Marines who have come back from the Middle East or something like that. They'd been yeah. away for six months, so they were looking for a couple of good drinks. So they asked Stevie, they're like, Stevie, where is it you're from? And he's like, well, I'm from Scotland. They're like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I work in whiskey. They were like, oh, my God, there's this amazing comedian who uh, does stuff about whiskey. And they're like, all right, who, who's that? And he's like, oh, I can't remember his name. So they go onto YouTube, and they pick this video out, and it's a, it's a video of Richard Patterson. Who they, <laughs> <laughs> who they genuinely think is a comedian and not a whiskey maker you know and, it, and Stevie's like no I work I work with that guy he's, no he's a real whiskey maker they're like nah fuck off man and so he's like no no so he gets it he gets like an email out or a social media post or something with him and Richard he's like no genuinely I, I work with this guy back in Scotland and they're like oh no way they were I think they were actually disappointed that he wasn't a comedian uh-huh. and he actually is a whiskey maker did he, I guess he told Patterson that then <laughs> I, I don't I don't think he did actually I don't think Richard ever heard that story but, but it's funny because it is as you go around the world it's amazing the people that you meet yeah. who are who are you know come across whiskey found out about it through something or somebody and there's it never surprises you anymore you know what the no. connections are you know it's brilliant it was, you know, it was like that. I was full of people who, Glenn Fiddich, oh, wow, you know, this sort of stuff. Now, Fiddich, Fiddich, Fiddich. I have to go around every state one by one. <laughs> but, yeah, and they just can't believe it. It's like a different world for them. Yeah, it was, well, it was funny. I mean, I remember having to act as your bodyguard a couple of times because, you know, <laughs> doing, like, take things with you and people are like, oh, my God. I know. I, I mean. Her and touch her. And, like, <laughs> I know. It's kind of, I had to have. Back a little bit. Yeah, I had um, bodyguards in Poland actually, um, security because people were like wanting, like trying to like get really close to you and touch you. Oh, it was horrible, but you know it's just because they're so obsessed with the product. It's not me they're obsessed with; it's the product, you know. See, Daz and I don't mind that. We don't mind getting touched when we're. <laughs> it's fine. That- I mean, I remember um, <laughs> going out to Russia. And, and dealing with their kind of passion for whiskey, which is, you know, enthusiastic is, is an understatement. And <laughs> the number of times I've had to go into the Russian saunas, the banyas, um, to drink whiskey and then come out and go into the rivers, cold rivers, the frozen rivers and stuff. It's pretty insane. And uh, what, what's not on your contract is that, you know, they expect you to, you know, obviously conform to the local culture and the way that they do things. Oh, and, yeah. And like... Typically in Siberia, that's with no clothes on in the banya, you know, in the sauna. Uh-huh. So you're there with a glass of Macallan or Glenfiddich or whatever it might be. And you're sipping away and you're just kind of going, this is, um, this is bizarre. You know, I'm not really quite sure how to, how to talk about this again, uh, if uh-huh. I'm doing the right thing, but you know, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. A man comes in with a, a little stick and starts hitting your skin because it's good for your circulation. Um, I, I haven't had to do that. Yeah, yeah. I like the I'm way still not sure if it was actually the cultural. I think mean, I think you've been had. <laughs> You're the first person to tell me that, and I'm, I'm a, I right, know okay. our Russia team. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> you gone right, right? I know, I know, I know. Is that is that only me? Jeez, oh, that... I've had to. I tell you though, I've had to eat some weird food to get a deal over the line as well. You know, 
Uh, I've had people sit and watch me and they just know if you don't eat that, they're not going to do the deal. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, oh, please stop. <laughs> so I think the, the, the one that, that really kind of caught my throat was the octopus beak. Um, Dr. Pispeak. Yeah, that was a Taiwanese um, uh-huh. sort of delicacy, and, and it was quite nice, I must say. But sort of hearing it and hearing what it was sounded more horrific than it actually was. It was probably the most pleasant. Uh, thing for me, know. it's the sea cucumber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think it's, it's also like the uh, the culture in some places where you have to down single malt Scotch whiskey in a water which. I yeah, uh, the, the, in the Korean market, there's a lot of that goes on, and yeah. a lot of crying and singing and. <laughs> Do you know, the, cry, the crying thing is so true. It's bizarre because you've got the gambe, so everyone's necking and you toast uh-huh. everyone and you have to drink with them. And I remember the first time I went to Taiwan, there was two people cried at our table, two people fell asleep. Um, <laughs> and I, I, of course, oh. held it all together with supreme dignity and form <laughs> and grace. <laughs> yeah. It's quite incredible, some of the things you see. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you were actually one of them, Des. Was, I, I, well, apparently... I, I, I remember speaking to Hannah, my wife, uh, the day after that, and uh, she was like, you left me a really bizarre voicemail. And I was like, oh, did I? She's like, yeah, you, you, you were trying to speak Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> and I, I think the guys, I think the Taiwanese guys were obviously encouraging this. And uh, I, I, I was obviously, un, you know, Hannah couldn't understand anything I was trying to say. And that's the last she heard from me for about 24 hours, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Such an interesting um, insight into life at William Grant's and also just life in whiskey in general. Uh, you have spent a lot of time in and around it. And it was also really cool, actually, to go back to those wine days, the heady days yes. where we used to cruise around town um, <laughs> enjoying samples. cocktails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where we could, where we could actually go out to bars and stand uh-huh. at the bar. And wow. heckle, heckle the staff. Who <laughs> <Yes. laughs> was it? I think it's Mike and Jason chucked me out of Bramble one night <laughs> for singing a song to Jason about where did you get that hat? Threw me out. I don't think they let me back. I was a bar me. I can't remember. <laughs> no, it's really cool. That's no, so nice to see you again. And it's a ne- never, never a dull moment, as I'm sure. Oh, definitely no. And you know, I say this to people quite often. We're in the business of fun. You know, don't take life too seriously. I think sometimes people forget that. You know, but yeah. I say to people, you know, at least we don't sell washing machines or something like that. You know, toilet You got to like, you got to have some passion for it. It's a really, really, really cool industry. And we're responsible for keeping it that way. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Kirsten, thanks again for, for jumping on our wee podcast and great to no see you. No problem. Good, Good to see you guys too. Don't be strangers. <laughs> Cheers. All right, guys. So great to have Kirsten on the episode. Uh, we need to do an X-rated version where we talk about all the things that we've got to got up to over the years uh, with her because I've had some absolutely mental times with, with her. Uh, great, great to, to have her on. Anyway, let's get back to some of the regular parts of the show, starting with... Daz Mitch's Whiskey News of the Week. In the news, Mitch, this week, um, I, I think this is really interesting. You and I are massive fans of grain whiskey. Um, I've got a 29-year-old here, Glaswegian. I sit and sip away at that all the time. But it has to be said, there hasn't been many 
grain distilleries opened. Um, you know, when was the last grain distillery that opened in Scotland? You know, we, I know there's been a few closed when we were at Diageo back in the day, Port Dundas was closed. So I was really, really excited to see in the news the Scottish borders might be getting a grain distillery. Jackson Distillers have announced a £46 million investment plan with that grain distillery opening in 2023. That's, um, that's massive, you know, uh, St. Boswell's is where it's going to be. Pretty exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. You know, it's just a press release. I've seen some pictures of the distillery itself. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's big news, man. It's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like every week there's a new distillery opening up or news of a new distillery going to be opening up. But it's always old. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Never grain. Yeah. So that is exciting. Yeah. I think one of the things for me, you know, in the news, that it was, and, and Kirsten already chatted on, well, touched on this earlier on, uh, but is the whole cask investment thing that's going on right now. And, you know, Blair Bowman wrote an interesting article in, in Cask and Still that went into a load of details on how he believes these comp companies are you know, verging on being, well, some of them can be fraudulent uh, in a way and, and, you know, promising, as Kirsten mentioned as well, over 500% return on investment, all this kind of stuff, which is really kind of, you know, I agree with her 100% and Blair 100% on this. It is, it's quite a dangerous road to go down if you're looking at buying a whiskey cask for an investment. Uh, you know, I bought one. Uh, I bought one uh, about a year ago now, but that was directly from the distillery. It wasn't from a broker. So I think this could be a little episode for us, Daz. What do you think? Like dig into this whole cask investment thing and see what's going on there? Yeah, no, totally. I, I've, I've been in and out of this over the years through McAllen, um, where we used to run the on-premier program. Um, and of course, over at Dalmore, where there's a, a very established sort of private bank side of things with, you know, cask sales direct to, to, you know, buyers, investors, whatever it is they want to do with it, really. But uh, there is this kind of murky world for me in this unknown, you know, if you're not buying it from the producer themselves, mm. where is that cask? Who actually owns it? And what happens when the time comes to bottle it, you know? Yeah, 100%. So there's a lot of implications, you know, that I see the numbers, um, you know, it's three and a half grand to buy a cask. Yeah, it is, but when you take that cask out of bond, it's probably three and a half grand on duty. It's probably going to cost you a couple of grand to get it bottled and sorted, you know, for you to enjoy at some point. So, yeah, maybe unpeeling some of these little things that people need to watch out for. Well, let's put that one on the back corner because... On Monday, we go to Isla, yeah. where we're going to record an episode, and we are going to do it this time. Guess the whiskey, 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 guess the whiskey. Last episode, I said this distillery was previously owned by Seagram's, produced a smoky distillate for blending purposes, and the Patterson crash caused it to close its doors for 65 years. It recently opened a new visitor centre. It was, of course, Ben Rear, which is uh, one of my favourite single malts right now. Absolutely fantastic juice. Sorry, Kirsten, if you're still listening to this, but uh, yeah, it's uh, some of the stuff they're doing right now. You know, uh, Rachel's just absolutely knocking it out of the park, I think, with, with, with all the new expressions that have come out recently. So, that's over to you, man. What do you got? What's, what's your guess, the distillery? This distillery has very, very, very recently undergone a huge uh, refurbishment project. Um, that's one clue. The, the, Gaelic, the Gaelic term means foot of the river. And this distillery 
We're going to Islet. So this distillery is one of the Islet distilleries. So um, those are your three clues for Guess the Whiskey. Big fan of this distillery. I don't know why. It's so charming. I love the whiskies. Uh, I love the spot. All right, guys. So thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, like I said, we will come to you not live, but in person from Isla next week. So looking forward to that. Uh, and then we're going to get our disguises on and get this, uh, you know, cask thing. We're going to dig into that. Go undercover, man. Uh, get some fake email addresses together. See what's going on there. Uh, but guys, those, those sets of glasses with the wee nose and the moustache and just sort of cruising. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got nose already, mate. So I don't need that. <laughs> That's be looking like you. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. So thanks for listening, and uh, catch you next time.